Welcome to today's episode, which will likely deal with some dark topics and sometimes sweary words, so listener discretion is always advised. For ad-free and bonus episodes, click in the link in the show notes for exclusive content. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com or by giving me a rate, writing a review, or subscribing to future episodes. And with all my marketing blah 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 out of the way, on with the show. Hello again and welcome back to A Million Other Choices. And if you are just joining for the first time, I am your host, Kim. The story I am bringing you today is a real disappointment in our child services in this country. I've tried to shy away from cases where child protective services might have dropped the ball because I do understand that the majority of people that work in human services, especially regarding children, do a good job and really care, and the caseloads they have are quite enormous. But in this case, it's very clear that the system completely broke down and a little girl paid the ultimate price. In the end, there are only two people directly responsible for her death. But there were measures that should have been taken to prevent it from the services that were designed to protect our children from parents who are either incapable or unwanting of protecting them themselves. It's also a case where there were actual admissions from the government agencies that they could have done a better job. Although similar to the David Milgard wrongful conviction inquiry, it's whitewashed to mitigate their own responsibility. This is another one of those stories that I could tell you in about 20 minutes or so, but I want to give you the full story, so buckle up. This is a long one, so I will likely split it into two parts, possibly even three, depending on the time. This is the heartbreaking murder of little Phoenix Sinclair. Sinclair was born on April 23, 2000, which means that she would have only been only two months younger than my son is now, which is 22. But unlike my son, Phoenix never got to spend her summers as a teenager, eating her parents out of house and home and enjoying her teenaged angst. She never got to experience her first heartbreak. Actually, Phoenix never got to enjoy or experience much of anything, including school or preschool. She unfortunately got to see very little of the light of day, as we will soon discover. She was born at the Health Sciences Women's Center in Winnipeg to 19-year-old Nelson Draper Steve Sinclair, who went by Steve, and mum Samantha Dawn Kimach, who went by Sam. So we need to start there. Neither Sam nor Steve trusted the child Canadian or the Canadian child welfare system because they themselves had spent much of their lives in it. Steve had been taken from his parents' home in 1989 when he was only about eight years old due to a family history of violence and alcohol abuse. Only two years later, he was made a permanent ward of Manitoba Child Services. Now, he had four sisters and two brothers as well, but the source material doesn't say if he was placed into foster homes with his siblings or alone. But by April 1998, his file was closed because he reached the age of 18. 
During his time in foster care, he was placed in three different homes and once for a period of six years in the same home. Um, But by the time he left foster care a year before Phoenix was born, he had only a 10th grade education, was addicted to alcohol, and supported himself on welfare. Sam's childhood didn't go much better. She was taken out of her home when she was 11. Her mom also drank heavily and was physically and emotionally abusive towards her. She became a ward of the Cree Nation Child and Family Caring Agency. Now, I don't live in Manitoba, so I'm not all that educated about the systems there, but I understand they currently have two systems, at least in Winnipeg. There is the Winnipeg Child and Family Services, so that's run like most of the you know, child uh, welfare systems that you're probably aware of. And then they have the Cree Nation one that I believe was started due to the overrepresentation of Indigenous children in the system to have better cultural and financial control over placements. The overrepresentation stems back to colonization and intergenerational trauma, which is a whole other topic. Anyways, when Sam was 16, she gave birth to her first child while she was still in foster care. And that child, um, it was a boy, was taken at birth by the child services. Now that child's father is either not known or it's, it's not listed in any of the documents, um, nor is the whereabouts of her first child. All I could find out about that baby was that he was taken and she didn't show any interest in having him returned into her care. He was returned briefly for about four months after he was born, but due to concerns about his safety, he was returned into foster care. By 1998, Sam had issues with alcohol herself, and once she was moved out of the system because of being 18, she was also living on social assistance uh, and had not finished high school. In late 1998, so when she was still 16 or very early in her 17th year, she met Steve through her brother. I don't know if it was a foster brother or biological brother. The the, um, (coughs) legacy of Phoenix Sinclair by the Honorable Ted Hughes, which was the main source for me, doesn't state. But regardless, you get the gist. It's not exactly off to a great start for Phoenix uh, for her to be born into. When Sam first learned that she was pregnant again, she and Steve had originally planned on keeping her. Um, This is according to her, but they hadn't done anything in terms of plans for her arrival. And in fact, both Steve and Sam used to drop into the boys and girls clubs about three times a week and where Steve would teach some of the kids how to play guitar. And staff noticed that Sam had been putting on weight and wearing her coat inside They suspected that she was hiding a pregnancy. On the day that Phoenix was born, a social worker at the hospital received a handwritten referral note from Child and Family Services saying, quote, please access mom, 19-year-old is having her second baby. Mom, first child is permanent ward of Child Family Services. Uh, Mom had no prenatal care with this pregnancy. Mom on welfare lives with common law, lives common law with baby's father. Now, I don't know how much information you really want in this case. If you want to know every single detail, you can read volumes one and two of The Legacy of Phoenix Sinclair in full. It is 518 pages in total, but I have read it for you and basically a bit of a clusterfuck unfolds from here with a lot of passing the buck and avoiding direct blame. 
I debated a lot about using the names of the actual social workers in some cases because they are named in the legacy report. Um, however, they didn't commit any crimes specifically, so I'm not sure that that's really fair. Uh, it's been about 20 years. Most of them have probably either retired or changed jobs or married and changed their last names. So I'm thinking I'll just probably use their first names or something. I would also like to think that living with the outcome of the story that was maybe helped along by the person's lack of effort or shoddy workmanship is probably something those workers live with every day. Um, so I think that they've had their punishment. So social worker number one, speaking of which, which is she's not actually named in the docs, she spoke to Samantha now she's, and determined that Sam wasn't sure if she wanted the baby. And so she called that into Winnipeg Child Services and a protection file was opened. And they did require someone to come out and speak with her and Steve at the hospital before they were released. Most of the issue with the disinterest and ambivalence to parenting was on the part of Sam. Steve did seem a little bit more interested and when the social workers that attended the hospital decided after talking to them that they were going to apprehend Phoenix, Steve actually called Nikki Taylor, who was the supervisor at the Boys and Girls Club that they were going to because she knew them and he wanted her help. Nikki did come out to the hospital. Um, now the file immediately after being open before any action was even taken was transferred to the Northwest Intake Unit um, and the case was assigned to a woman named Marnie. She had only had she only had the file for three days because when she learned about Nikki Taylor, so Taylor was actually or Nikki was actually her cousin and it was considered a conflict of interest. So she transferred the file to her boss, Andrew. Um, in, in the three days that Marnie had the file, she moved Phoenix from the hospital to a Winnipeg Child Services shelter and then to a foster family. In her report, she wrote, quote, This writer invited the parents to help this writer to dress Phoenix and only Steve did so. Samantha seemed only vaguely interested in the process. And when we were walking downstairs, she seemed more interested in chatting and giggling with a friend. The girl that the couple met with appeared extremely shocked that they had just had a baby. She made it sound as though the couple had kept this secret on purpose. She, um, she then, at Steve's request, set up visits with Phoenix to be supervised starting on that Friday and to continue every Friday. And on the last day she had the file, she contacted the Cree Nation Family Services for more information on the parents. Parents' previous involvement with child services, she accidentally received Sam's file and not the file for the first baby that Samantha had had. Andrew wrote in his initial report, quote, as of this writer's meeting with Samantha and Steve on April 28, 2000, the parents are indicating a desire to continue their common law relationship with Phoenix being in the family fold. They advise that they came to this position after much deliberation and discussion. The writer aggressively challenged the couple on their ambivalence towards parenting this child and the lack of prenatal care, the hiding of the pregnancy, and Samantha's seeming disinterest with respect to um, 
it's redacted, so I'm assuming it's talking about the first baby she had were raised as well. Throughout our conversations, Samantha remained flat and stoic. She responded to questions in a simple and cautious manner, often pondering her response for a moment or two before uttering the same. Complex questions often received simplistic responses, which failed to shed any meaningful light on issues, especially around why she hid this pregnancy and why she failed to remain in any contact with the first baby. Her responses heavily consisted of shrugs and I don't know. Her presentation is suggestive of some developmental and physiological difficulties. However, same will need to be determined. Samantha had great difficulty expressing why the first baby came in permanently into Crenation's care, nor could she account for why she had expressed no desire in maintaining any contact with the child. Steve presented as a relatively articulate, thoughtful young man. He indicated that he permanently came into Winnipeg Child and Family Services care when he was 13 and remained in the care of this agency until attaining the age of majority. At this point, Steve's biological mother, her file remains closed and his file is sealed. Um, And so with that, he ordered a few provisions. One was that they were going to assign a family services worker um, to do some ongoing service and intervention. There was going to be a three-month temporary order of guardianship to child family services. They were going to await the getting the actual case history from child and family services on the first baby. They needed some form of psych assessment um, to be done on Samantha particularly. And both parents were to were to participate in uh, some kind of parenting program and attend their weekly visits with Phoenix. At the bottom of his um, provisions, he says, quote, the assigned worker shall have two primary issues to sort through in the coming months. Firstly, the question of parental motivation and commitment will need to be assessed and weighed on on an ongoing basis. Secondly, it will be necessary to determine Samantha's parental capacity. Winnipeg Child Family Services was granted custody of Little Phoenix, who was only days old, on May 8th, 2000, and her file was handed to a woman named Carrie, uh, or Carrie Lynn, who had graduated in 1995 and had been working as a social worker since 1998, so two years, and apparently, quote, one of the more seasoned workers. Now, she only had the file for five months, um, whether she left or went on mat leave. And this is one of the biggest problems I found in this case was the, the turnover in the social workers that these files just keep getting transferred and transferred and transferred. And so information gets dropped. It doesn't get followed up on. Um, so in the, t- the five months that she had the file, she did identify a few issues with Samantha uh, being the most significant was her flat effect in this lack of interest in her first child coupled with her young age which she saw as red flags. She noted in her files that there had still not been a psych assessment done and was concerned about that. And she noted that Nikki, so remember Nikki was the woman from the Boys and Girls Club that was helping them. Her difficulty in arranging for Sam's assessment may have been partly because, quote, Sam did not believe she needs to have the assessment and therefore was likely not helpful when asked questions regarding its purpose. And then she also noted that Samantha often appeared angry when she was required to discuss any of the relevant issues, end quote. August of 2000, so close to the expiry of that temporary guardianship, um, a woman named 
Marie was working with the family closely under the supervision of Carrie Lynn. And by September 5th, 2000, both Sam and Steve were attending their supervised visits and they were getting better, but Sam still hadn't completed any kind of psych evaluation. Now, they had the option of leaving the guardianship open for longer, but Carrie Lynn testified later that she couldn't remember why they decided not to do that. Uh, And so Phoenix was given back to the couple. During that time um, that Phoenix was returned, Sam did get a psych assessment done kind of of sorts by a Dr. Gary Altman. But there's a little blame throwing here. Both, um, so Dr. Altman says that he was only asked to assess if Sam suffered from postpartum depression, and that was it. Carrie Lynn says no, she wanted a full evaluation done to assess her parenting abilities. Uh, Regardless of the notes in the file say that there was no need for follow-up assessment. So Marie was to take on the task of monitoring Phoenix's progress. However, according to the legacy report, quote, the CF... CFS files contain limited information about her observations and work. Contrary to agency policy, the family support workers' notes were not found in Samantha's protection file and were never located. Um, So it doesn't sound like there was any follow-up after her return to them in September of 2005. Had there been some follow-up, they might have actually been aware that by November 2000, most of Phoenix's time was actually spent in the care of Steve's friends and angels, as far as I'm concerned, Kim Edwards and Rohan Stevenson living in Winnipeg. Carrie Lynn, remember, was transferring her file at this time and transferred it to a woman named Dolores. Um, And now Dolores only had the file for eight months before she resigned. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it Every time. And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. By that fall, Sam had gotten pregnant again. So this is baby number three. You might want to write all this down to keep track. Now Dolores didn't even try to meet with or review Phoenix's file until February 1st, 2001. And at that time, she got no answer at the house. 
She tried again on February 7th and was told by Sam that they didn't have time to talk and unceremoniously told her that since she didn't have a phone, that she could write a letter. They scheduled to meet two days later on the 9th of February, at which time now Sam did invite her into the house, although in Dolores's notes she said that she appeared angry and annoyed that she was there. She wrote, quote, overall, it is evident to this worker that Samantha is annoyed and dislikes the involvement of child family services. The family appears to be doing well, although Sam, Samantha does appear angry and annoyed with agency involvement. The home is clean and well maintained and the child Phoenix appears clean and content. Steve appears to be actively involved into the general care of the child. Steve appeared very quiet and did offer very little input into today's conversation. She added that she had planned to do drop-by visits to monitor as needed, which she never did. But the legacy report puts the blame for that on a woman named Angela, who was Dolores' supervisor, stating that she should have required visits and follow-up. Now, remember Marie, who was working with the family, she was a support worker, and her contract was not renewed with the family. She says that she recalls asking for an extension of the file being opened, but that her notes that she were that she was required to keep couldn't be located. Her last recorded visit with the family went like this. December 13th, 2000, she testified that she stopped working for the family because they vanished without notice or warning. She assumed they had moved, but agreed it was possible that they simply were not home when she visited. On January 31st, 2001, Phoenix was taken to a medical clinic by a caseworker from a local shelter. No one at Child Family Services knew that she was even in a shelter or had received medical care, and the records from the hospital don't even say what the visit was about. Then, on April 2001, Phoenix's sister was born at the same hospital that Phoenix had been born at. Steve and Sam named the baby Echo, and the social worker at the hospital, despite there having been a referral, noted in Sam's, in her report, Samantha's worker was Dolores, who was unaware of Samantha's pregnancy. The writer informed Dolores that Samantha were due for discharge on that day, and that they had the necessary supplies and Dolores will follow up in the community. No concerns prohibiting discharge at this time. Uh, no further social work indicated ready for discharge. So Echo was released to her parents. No one was aware still that Phoenix was actually spending the majority of her time, thankfully, in the care of Kim Edwards and Rohan Stevenson. Steve had asked Kim to watch Phoenix because Sam was hormonal uh, and pushing her away. So on one hand, it's great that Phoenix is being well cared for. But on the other hand, if Child Family Services had been monitoring the situation as they should have, they would have known that Phoenix was spending very little time in the family home and could and should have been reassessed. You know, they should have reassessed the situation. Dolores went about her merry way, not visiting or following up with Sam or Phoenix until she received this email. Hi, Dolores. Steve's sister, Angie Sinclair, was very recently transferred to me. Angie has been AWOL from, the, and then the words redacted, a great deal lately. Much of the time she has spent with her brother, Steve, and his partner, Samantha. Angie's group home staff believes that Angie may have been babysitting for Steve and Samantha. 
given Angie's functioning, this would be of concern. Also of concern is a message I received from, and again, it's redacted, wherein I was told that recently Stephen had become violent and had assaulted both Angie and Samantha. Police were involved lately, but I'm not sure what transpired. I was told today that Angie is staying with a fellow by the name of, and that's redacted. I know... Um, again redacted because he assaulted one of my other girls only months ago the name redacted is also the birth father of Samantha's firstborn uh, for your information and your follow-up hopefully by the time you read this my information might be a little more clear now Dolores didn't follow up on that email and instead when her replacement came back from her maternity leave she just gave the files sans email to her then on June 29th when the file had been transferred out of her files, she received another email. Hi Dolores, I received a call from Cher Prince CRU late this morning. Cher advised that she had received a call from Redacted, refused to provide his name. Redacted reports concerned that's about Samantha's children. Stated that on June 15th, Samantha was out of the house with a small infant. The one-year-old remained in the home with Stephen. Stephen and Samantha live at 740B Magnus. Redacted is concerned as he has not seen Samantha and the baby in a few days and alleges that Stephen has a drinking problem uh, and ongoing conflict with Samantha. Redacted feels that there needs to be some check on the safety and well-being of the children. I asked Corey to do a field home check on the well-being of the children today. I will have Corey send you an email with the outcome in the field. Thanks, Angie. This guy, Corey, did do a visit and discovered that Sam had abandoned the family and left both Echo and Phoenix in Steve's care. So this was early, very early in July 2001. So as you might have noticed, we're about 24 minutes into this episode and Phoenix has only been on this earth for about 15 months. Uh, She's not going to make it much past her fifth birthday and we still have a long way to go to get to those details. However, even though Sam had left the family and her two children behind, she still continued to collect the child tax credit, the Canada child tax credit payments, and was using that to party with. Um, And Steve was kind of taking care of Phoenix and and Echo, but admitted that he had been drinking at times and letting his sister watch the kids. Now, the separation didn't appear to have gone particularly well. The children were tossed back and forth a bit between the two, mostly over who would get the welfare and these child tax benefits. You have to have custody to get the money. Uh, And there was a physical altercation in which Steve was charged with domestic violence towards Sam. Uh, When Dolores finally did meet up at Steve's place, he he said that he didn't want anything to do with Sam anymore since she had come home with a hickey and admitted going back to her ex-boyfriend, the father of her first child. But at this visit, she didn't actually see Phoenix, only Echo, and didn't know anything about Kim Edwards or Rohan Stevenson and their involvement. Um, So she took Steve at his word that his drinking was under control. Then, tragically, on July 15th, 2001, little baby Echo um, was taken by Steve to the hospital because she wasn't breathing very well. She was pronounced dead on arrival due to complications from pneumonia. Echo's death was not considered suspicious. When Sam learned of Echo's death, she called Child Family Services on July 16th, 2001 and wanted to know where Phoenix was because she wanted her. And she was informed that she was with Steve Um, And then she got angry, stating that they both had rights to her. 
and she wound up hanging up on the child family services worker. Then on the day of Echo's funeral, another altercation between Steve and Sam ensued, causing the police to be called to settle a dispute between the two families. Um, No one remembers noticing if Phoenix was there with anyone or not at that time. So after Echo's death, Phoenix was still technically under Steve's care, but Kim Edwards said that he was quite a mess after that, drinking and just really depressed, and everyone in the family felt that Kim was the best place for Phoenix. So Child and Family Services closed Sam's file since she no longer had any children under her care and left Steve's um, open for monitoring, which of course nobody did. Uh, But the case was still downgraded to low risk. And most troubling of all was that there was no follow-up services done. His file was closed in March of 2002. But the good news is at least she was in good hands and safe with Kim and Rohan, who I believe separated in December of 2002, um, but still stable and provided a loving home for Phoenix, which she really, and in there, she really started to thrive. The end, I wish. The inquiry found that for all intents and purposes, the agency provided no services to the family from the end of July 2001 to the next file opening in February of 2003, despite the unresolved issues and concerns and despite the work that the agency still needed to do with this family. This was an egregious error, which is government speak for they fucked up big time. Considering there were calls on June 18th, the 29th and July 3rd regarding domestic violence in the home. Now, things are a little bit muddy here, but Rohan brought Phoenix to the hospital in Winnipeg through the ER on February 26, 2003, and it was discovered that she had what, well, what I've seen described in most of the news reports as styrofoam lodged in her nostril, which had been there, they think, from November 2002. The doctor was concerned... um, well, based on the home situation, which did not include Rohan, that they be followed up on to make sure that she was getting the antibiotics um, that she had been prescribed. Uh, Rohan had known about the object in her nose and had told Steve about it, and he said that he'd removed it. But then Rohan realized that he hadn't done that because the discharge from her nose smelled awful. uh, So he brought her to the doctors for it. And so the ball was dropped again, and no one at Child Family Services knew where Phoenix was until June 21st, 2003. Oh, and by the way, Phoenix's file was closed with Child Family Services in March of 2002. On June 21st, 2003, a call from a neighbor came in that Steve was drinking and Phoenix wasn't being supervised. And on this day, a social worker named Kim came out, Um, People named Kim are generally good souls, and this Kim was no exception, and determined that Phoenix should be taken that day. Uh, And so Kim was actually one of the few workers that actually made notes in her file. Sadly, one of the things she noted was that Phoenix called most females mum, but she was speaking appropriately for her age, um, which at that time was about three She fed her some cookies and milk and she slept through the night at the temporary foster home that she was taken to. But things are about to get even worse for little Phoenix. A lot worse because Phoenix had been apprehended again um, and a notice about that had to be sent to Sam. When Sam found out, she decided that she suddenly wanted Phoenix back, even though she hadn't seen her at this point for over a year. 
So now the matter had to go to court because there were just too many parties at this point and it needed some sorting out. Sam wanted her but didn't really have good reasons for it, probably just that she wanted the child tax benefit. Steve felt that Child Family Services was right to take her because he wasn't doing well and both Kim and Rohan of course would have taken her. She was ultimately given to Kim Edwards as what they call a place of safety, uh, which is not a registered foster home but a really good start to one. So this is all very good. We're happy with this arrangement for now. But of course, that was only court ordered for three months, which was set to expire in early October. In the meantime, Kim was trying to get licensed as an actual foster home so that she could take Phoenix for longer periods. Um, and now this is where things start to get a bit ridiculous. On October 3rd, Phoenix was returned to Steve's care because he was kind of willing and kind of wanting that but he had not addressed his addiction issues but as you know what's a little alcohol abuse in the big scheme of things she did continue to visit Kim pretty frequently during this time because despite his want and willingness he wasn't really ready yet uh, and capable of looking after Phoenix full-time and at least he had the decency to know that and to bring her to Kim and worse, she was able to leave Kim's care and return to Steve without any further court orders, so she was vulnerable to Sam coming back into the picture. And one day in the spring of 2004, Sam did just that, arriving at Rohan and Kim's place, and it was a time when Kim wasn't home. Uh, she showed up with her mother Bertha in tow, saying that they wanted to spend some time with her. Now, Rohan assumed that Sam would get tired of her after a day or two and she would be back. I mean, that was sort of the pattern. Now, had he known that Bertha was addicted to crack at that time, he would have probably tried to prevent it. But he figured he'd see Phoenix again. Um, she was excited to go, so why not? Um, it turns out that that would be the last time that Kim and Rohan, or Steve for that matter, would ever see Phoenix Child Family Services actually at this point now has no idea where at this point in the story has no idea where Phoenix was. Um, they assume with Steve, but no one bothered to check into that or warn Kim and Rohan that Sam retained custodial rights if she did show up. We are going to end here for this week. We will conclude the story of Phoenix and Claire next week which is also the end of season two of A Million Other Choices. So far, we have chronicled three years of Little Phoenix's life. She will unfortunately not live to see her sixth birthday. Next week, we will find out just how bad things are going to get for her and how little child and family services did to prevent her death. Although up till now, Phoenix has been relatively safe in the home of Kim and Rohan. Sam has just come back to pick, up, pick her up to live with her and her new boyfriend. And Child Services has no idea where she is, as they are not even aware that she was with Kim and Rohan in the first place. And they have no legal recourse for looking for her. So take a week to think about puppies and kittens and good things, because next week they are going to get very dark, as always. Thank you so much for listening. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? 
These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.